1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Real Health Revolution on Informed Life Radio Liberty Hour on uh, KKNW in the greater Puget Sound region, CHD TV, Twitter, Facebook. So glad you could be joining us the day after Thanksgiving. I am so thankful for all of you, for all of the amazing guests we have on this show, and to the amazing people at Informed Choice Washington, all my peeps there who work so hard Every single day, you know, when you're an activist, you don't you don't really take days off. I mean, you might physically take one day off to, to spend with your family, but in the back of your head, you're writing posts. You're thinking about what you got to do the next day. We sort of live and breathe this. And I, I'm so grateful for the great team uh, doing all this hard work and grateful for the donors at Informed Choice Washington who give every single month to keep free speech on the air, um in washington state and around the world this is so important this is how we win this is how we we gain traction get our freedoms back that we lost and we hold on to the others and we really begin to create a a healthy world it's it's pretty exciting that we're here um The views expressed on this uh, Liberty Hour, not necessarily those of KKNW or CHDTV, this is just great conversation uh, to help you live an informed life. This is not intended to be professional, medical, legal advice either. We're just, again, having conversations. Um, And and this hour, I'm so excited to have on again um, uh, a woman you've met before, Dr. Denise Sibley. Uh, she's with me here in Tennessee. No, well, not in this. She's about an hour away from me right now. Hi, Denise. Hi. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Um, for listeners who are new to you, who might not have heard of your wonderfulness until now, um, tell people a little bit about your education, and you know, get us up to date to then COVID hit and then life <laughs> changed. So I'm
2: uh, Dr. Denise Sibley, I'm in Johnson City, Tennessee. I went to uh, to college at the, the College of William and Mary, and then went on to University of Virginia for my medical school and internal medicine residency. And then I became board certified in 1989 uh, through the American Board of Internal Medicine, so that I'm a board certified internal medicine uh, specialist. Uh, which means that I did my residency and I took the test and I passed. I've been in good standing all these years. So I have a lot of experience as an internal medicine a physician, both in the hospital and outpatient practice. And in 2020, um, I wasn't planning on being a COVID doctor, but God called me into service of doing pretty much exclusively COVID in March of 2020, which is what I've been doing until now. And because there were so few people doing that work, it overshadowed everything and has mm-hmm. been the busiest almost four years of my life. So yeah. um, I've and, tried to help
1: anyone with COVID issues. And you know, COVID at first was very, very new um, to everybody. Of course, we were lied to about how new it was. It was in the mm-hmm. coronavirus family. And early studies showed that at least 50% of the population had some immunity to it, even though it turned out to be lab altered, yada, yada, yada. But you, you looked far afield, you looked everywhere, you read everything was going on, and you eventually landed on the great doctors um, that became the FLCCC, Mm -hmm. Pierre Corey and and Paul Merrick, um, and you embraced ivermectin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you really were trying to what whatever's working for the patients is what you were going to do. And at, at some point, people told me about you. I had arrived in Tennessee and I'm like, I, you got to re- meet the great Dr. Sibley <laughs> here. Cause we, we wanted to make Ivermectin me- much more available. We wanted to make it over the counter. And so you and I were introduced mm-hmm. and I want, you know, kind of listener viewers to know that in 2022, it's about five hours, a little bit more from your house to the Capitol in Nashville. It's about four and you know, about four and a half for me. So it's probably like five and a half for you. And there were a couple of times when you and I met up and drove together the rest of the way and we sat in a hearing room and the bill didn't get heard that day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We talked to a few people and turn around and go right back home. So those were long days. Mm -hmm. But a couple of the days... Um, sometimes we spent the night cause like we had uh, Paul Merrick was there mm-hmm. Pierre Corey and Robert Malone came in. It was just an exciting time. Wasn't it when yes. all these brave doctors, such as yourself, were, were showing up and just delivering the most amazing information to a very open minded general assembly, I mm-hmm. have to say. Um, and you gave some great testimony, but one I wanted to share with listeners is one of my favorite moments because um one of the things i love about you is you dive deep before you show up somewhere you you make sure you know what you're talking about you read broad and then you go down to know your stuff and and there was going to be a hearing before i believe it was the full um house Mm that it was like the final time to, to see if it would pass in the health before going to the floor It already passed in the Senate. And, um, and then you were challenged a bit by one, of the uh, representatives who's a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I want to play that clip, Nathan, if you could play that for us. Oh, queued up and oh, he'll do it. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Dr. Sibley. We respect your experience and the work that you have done. Uh, I agree with you that it's a safe drug okay. you know, overall, having been used extensively. Uh, you mentioned 81 studies that, uh, I don't know if you use the word overwhelmingly, but I get a sense that it's overwhelmingly effective. The studies that I see, including an article in the JAMA within the last week or so, they're marginally effective to not effective. No harm, but I did want to clarify that, uh, again, uh, studies don't universally prove the point that it's a- as effective as, as, as you're saying it is. Uh, you recognize Dr. Sibley? Thank you, Dr. Kumar, for that. And you're referencing uh, a February 18th nineteen uh, 2022 paper out of JAMA, the ITEC randomized clinical trial, where they looked at ivermectin treatment on mild to moderate disease. Uh, this was a very small study. It was underpowered. That means that the sample size was very small, about 260 people in each of the arms. Um, there were a couple things with it. The, it was open label. That is, the, the physicians knew who were getting it and who weren't. It was conducted in the hospital, and that was around day 5 to 7, so clearly not early treatment. There was no breakout or mention of vaccination status. There was no zinc or other vitamins given with it, which is absolutely essential for its mechanism of action. It's a zinc ionophore. That is, it helps the zinc to get into the cell. And if I don't have zinc, then it's like starting my car without gas. Um, If you actually look at – so their endpoint was – reducing um, the the use of oxygen did it help the patients not have to use oxygen that was the primary endpoint not death and not hospitalization so if you break that down actually there were three people in the ivermectin that died and 10 in the control group that died now, they said that wasn't statistically significant, but there were actually 12 because two people didn't even make it to the end of the seven-day study. So there was actually a 70% reduction in death, and there was a reduced mechanical ventilation, four versus 10. So it depends on what kind of endpoint you want to pick on that. Um, the sample size uh, was very small, and there were a, a number of issues with that particular study. I, I That is a, a certainly one that was most recently come out, so I, is there additional questions I could ask or answer for you, yes. sir? Dr. No, no. Dr. Kumar. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, thank I you. think you explained it very thoroughly. Um, but
1: <laughs> yes, indeed, you did explain it very thoroughly, and you know, <laughs> I was so proud of you, and you could have gone on with all the studies he was hinting at. Um, and explain one by one why it was weak. And I I do want to let listeners know that the other thing that we didn't show the whole clip, that um, they didn't even start giving these hospitalized patients ivermectin until like day five, six Mm -hmm. into it, you know, they did everything they could to set that drug up for failure. And it still helped. I love that the representative did admit there's no harm. It's very, very safe. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, I I really appreciated that he acknowledged that it's very safe. But so you're on today in particular because such things as that, speaking up for ivermectin, you also gave testimony on um, how wonderfully protective natural immunity Mm is. Um, And, you know, there were some other things that you spoke on for your public standing up and speaking on these things, you were notified by the um, American Board of Internal Medicine, that, you know, they were threatening to take away your certification, explain to listeners, you know, the difference between being a licensed physician and being a certified physician, what, you know, a lot of times we, the general public doesn't understand the terms. So a medical license is usually
2: granted by a state, and um, that allows you to practice medicine in a state. And uh, a certification of a board means that you've gone beyond the basics of your medical school, you've gone into a residency of some sort, you've achieved that level of distinction, and you pass an examination uh, based Mm -hmm. based on that extra knowledge that you've acquired and it makes you it distinguishes you clinically um, as having acquired that knowledge and being competent in that field and um, you know that's something we work very hard for it costs a lot of money uh, to take the test Um, it it distinguishes you and it also has bearing on your practice like insurance companies want you to have Mm -hmm. that hospital privileges often depend on that so there are uh, ramifications to your clinical practice as well if you are board certified or not. And uh, so that's the major distinction.
1: So they were saying that you were, what, what did they say in the letter to you about what so they thought it was, you were doing?
2: It was, it was very um, telling that it was only about two weeks, you know, after I had been um, at all these various times down to the General Assembly to Mm -hmm. give testimony and the ivermectin bill had passed into law and been signed by the governor about two weeks from that is when i received a certified letter at home Mm -hmm. uh, from the american board of internal medicine that said that i was uh, pushing misinformation uh, that i had uh, i was harming patients um, that i was not obeying the consensus scientific statement on uh, covid and they listed a number of things that I had said on my personal website as the basis for their uh, analysis of these things. So they didn't actually reference the things from the general assembly, but this was on my personal website. I have no social media, mm-hmm. so I can't get anything I said on Facebook or Twitter because I don't, I don't do those things. And so someone, I, I'm, I mean, my my website is a homemade website. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually I had to hire one of the younger generation to do because I didn't even know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I made it just because I was having to repeat myself for like an hour with each patient. And it was, I was having so many patients that I just needed somewhere to deposit, you know, this is the basic information. Could you watch that? And then let's, let's talk. So it was mm-hmm. it was a way for me to communicate information to my patients which allowed me to be more efficient. That's why I even made the website with the information on it. Mm -hmm. And um, somehow they got tipped off to me, a small Mm -hmm. town, uh, you know, unconnected doctor, um, non-academic as far as being on any um, kind of school uh, academic program. Um, But uh, they were tipped off and looked at my little homemade website and took statements from there that they said did not agree with the narrative and uh, that they were going to threaten to sanction me. And I had to respond. So I responded with, I don't know, 11 or 12 pages of my own response of the science. Mm -hmm. and um, Then that went on. It's been a year and a half now. And then that went on to, they still, the, the credential committee met, and still wanted to remove my certification, mm-hmm. even after my appeal. And so that went into then a legal appeal, which um, I had to hire attorneys, and we filed a, a very comprehensive legal brief. And um, still after that, uh, they were going to definitely remove my certification and sanction me because I was harmful to the mm-hmm. public. And so what that uh, culminated in is that I was kind of given an ultimatum of this October to appear. I, I had a chance to appear in person before their panel mm-hmm. and to again argue personally. And that's what I did on October 27th.
1: Yeah. So I, I want to back up just a little bit to say that, you know, you're in good company and I hope you wear it as a badge of honor that you, along with our heroes. Have experiences. So, who, who all? What are the doctors that you know that are going through the exact same thing as you?
2: Well, there are many in other states who've actually had their license removed. Their and that,
1: license.
2: Their license, which means they cannot be a doctor in that state, um, mm-hmm. and so that's a big deal. Now, thankfully, um, our state um, passed uh, a a law in the. Uh, kind of omnibus COVID session of late 2021, October 2021, that protected our licenses against mm-hmm. anyone removing them for COVID speech. And yeah. um, actually the CEO of ABIM took offense at that. And they said <laughs> politicians had no business getting into the practice of medicine. But um, well, so I would, license-
1: I, then why does he have politics in his medicine? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. In the medicine. but so, so other people of, of other boards, family practice, American Board of Family Practice, American Academy of Pediatrics, um, you know, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. They've gone after people. But as far as I know, there are four of us who in American Board of Internal Medicine have been singled out. And I'm the only small town uh, nobody. Uh, the other three are pretty big heavyweights: uh, Peter McCullough and Pierre Corey and Paul Merrick. Which I'm just honored to be in, right. even included with those those giants of of men.
1: Um, well, uh, well, I tell you, when people ask me, Bernadette, you know, w- how do you choose a good doctor? And I'm like, well, personally, I look for somebody who's not in good standing with the American Board of Internal Medicine. <laughs> Because if they are, they're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If they haven't been looked at askance by the powers that shouldn't be, as our last guest, Emma Saron, calls them the powers that shouldn't be, then, you know, I don't know. I have to find out. They're either just being quiet, refusing to stand up. And we need everybody to stand up if we want this to end. Um, So, yeah, you're in good standing. So um, the end of October, you had your day. And um, tell us about how you prepared. For that day, your your day before them, they were going to give you like three and a half hours to speak. Um, so um,
2: I, I demanded, I made some demands on time because they originally wanted to give me an hour, and I, you know, go all the way up to Philadelphia with my lawyer. Um, I demanded more time, of course, and so I sat before a panel of three with their lawyer and, and an ABIM representative, and I prepared by writing a large large paper myself. And um, that I also prepared by um, getting all of the scientific literature together, which is over 3,400 literature citations on that involved the, um, the offenses or the sins that I had committed. And, and the two sins that they really honed in on was that I said masks were not effective, and that I said that um, vaccines were not safe and effective, and they were experimental. So I prepared uh, 13 binders. Uh, They were three-inch binders. Each one of them contained studies. They were labeled with mask efficacy, vaccine uh, death, and side effects. And then I had the Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, and AstraZeneca protocols in their entirety uh, printed as well. Mm -hmm. And so I took all that up on a furniture mover dolly to the 48th floor of a sky (laughs) rise and presented that. And and I had it laid out there. It was all very methodical um, and all labeled um, and also had one on vaccine efficacy. And so those were the topics that they honed in on. Originally they, um, they took offense at me treating with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine But um, when the final verdict of my sin came out, it was really that I said masks weren't effective and that vaccines weren't safe and effective. So Mm -hmm. that's really what I since those were my sins, that's what I landed on. And there are plenty of published citations in the literature that back up what I said. So Mm -hmm. I was a very scientific. um, I I took scientific evidence with me. I was Mm -hmm. very academic. In, um, I think they thought I was going to be a little small town person who walked in and said, you know, I I I just think this is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and I didn't. I I I had a lot to say, and uh, my my lawyer had things to say as well from the legal standpoint, and just the legal um, precedents that have gone on before me, just as far as misinformation mm-hmm. and speech. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were basically saying that I have no right as a physician to uh, free speech because my speech harms people uh, because I didn't agree with the consensus, whatever the consensus is, and and their consensus really means y- is just the narrative, the mainstream mm-hmm. narrative, and I didn't agree with it, so it's misinformation. They really never quantify. What is a consensus? There's nowhere on any three-letter agency website, any academic medical uh, institutions website, on the ABIM website. There's nothing that says what the consensus is. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow there's this consensus that exists, and I must be punished because I don't agree with it. And in my um, you know perfect ABIM. Uh, license uh, certification be taken away after you know since 1989. I mean it's wow. 34 years worth. It's just it's really it's ludicrous and um, it's against uh, free speech. It's censorship and um, yeah that they they just cannot bear to have anyone contribute to vaccine hesitancy. That's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is that is a sin. But but that sentiment is the tool of the global powers Mm -hmm. attempt. I mean, you know, to to those of us following it now, it's clear as can be Mm -hmm. that the way they steal our freedom and get this new world organization that they want to happen, they are claiming climate change is causing pandemic illnesses. Everybody has to mask up, live Mm -hmm. in fear, hide away, take whatever injection comes their way. And we have to track and trace you.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: it's so clear when you see it. And if you're breaking that narrative, and they have to take the doctors out of the equation. Doctors have to, I mean, I've been half joking that they want to go to the kiosk method of medicine, mm-hmm. so that you don't even have a human, you just go up to the kiosk, and you type something in, and it scans your body, and then it spits out some pills, you know, where it says, you know, bend over and it mm-hmm. gives you the job, you know, I mean, they they don't want anybody messing up their plan by by thinking outside the box. Not everybody understands that that's, how they're being used, but when you st- there's it's the only way to look at it because it's absurd because it makes no sense because the science is on your side. I love that Meryl Nass up in is it Maine? Mm-hmm. Um, so she went before her licensing board, the medical board up there, and it was just such a what do they call that a, a just a dog and pony show? Just such mm-hmm. a it was so ridiculous. Everything was on her side, but they did take away her license. But now they're suing Um, Mm -hmm. children's health defense is helping mount a a lawsuit against the main board and oh, they got to win. I tell you, here's a plug to please go give to CHD so that they can get this litigation and because we need our doctors to be free, let doctors be doctors. So now you're in a state of limbo as far as your certification, right? They Mm -hmm. they haven't given you a decision yet.
2: No, they haven't. And, you know, there's no I mean, I'm at their mercy as usual because I I don't have anything I can do or say. Um, And this, you know, one of the things that my lawyer brought up, which I used as well, is that, you know, this idea of a consensus is illusory. Um, And that was actually a term that the judge used, uh, the federal judge used in the um, Hogue versus versus Newsom in the U.S. District Court in California uh, when they struck down the um, AB 2098, I believe it was, mm-hmm. the um, misinformation law there. And so, you know, the concept of uh, a scientific consensus existing is, is just something that's fleeting. Um, mm-hmm. There's never been a scientific consensus mm-hmm. about how to do a gallbladder surgery. You can do it a number of different ways. Depending on you know your training and what you see and what you approach, I mean each person is 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 individual. So um, a seasoned doctor can read the literature, um, mm-hmm. and I, I demonstrated that even though I'm a small town doctor, I obviously have kept up with the literature on this. And you can read the literature yourself, and you can um, you can make statements that may disagree with someone, but you do that in a thoughtful way that you've, you've based it on scientific evidence and also real world experience. I now have thousands of patients under my belt treating. Mm -hmm. I know this works. I've used Mm -hmm. ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine for years before COVID. This was not my first rodeo with those Mm -hmm. drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, to say that I can't use something that's been FDA approved for so long, And that I can't read the literature, I must only do what they say,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: not have an opinion. And that that crushes uh, scientific inquiry is what they're trying to do.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, They just want us to to regurgitate the narrative.
1: Yeah, yeah. One size fits none, as they say. Yeah, one size fits none. And it's, it's dangerous for our health. It's dangerous for our Mm -hmm. freedom. Um, but, you know, that's the way they want to go. They want to cut out that middleman, but we're not going to let them. Right. We're going to refuse. We are going to stand up. And, uh, you know, the people here in Tennessee are, ma- I mean, I'm sure they are in, in all the states. I mean, I know the people out in Washington, the, the people on the ground that I associated with. I mean, they were amazing. They didn't. A lot of them didn't have MDs or even associate's degree, just, you know, high school graduates, maybe mm-hmm. not even that. But the common person has common can often have common Mm -hmm. sense that if you'll pardon the expression, college educated idiots don't always have. Mm -hmm. I am a college graduate, but, um, but you know, it's just amazing where you just, if you don't think you know everything, you might be more open-minded to, to looking around. And I think I've told this story before when we first moved to Tennessee, weren't even in the house yet. We were in the lobby of the hotel and some guy comes wandering in, he's got blue jeans and a t-shirt and he says, is that your old truck out there. And we said, yeah. And they said, he he's like, well, what's that? The high wire? What's that? Because we had a big old car magnet said the high wire would down big tree. And and he says, a "Circus above the crowd or something." And we, so we explained who Dell Big Tree was. He says, "Oh, well, good. That's what I was hoping you were talking about." He says, "I listened to this this uh, Ph.D. doctor. Her name is Dr. Jessica Rose." And and I'm like, I so I had interviewed Je- Jessica Rose on the podcast, and it just it just was so amazing right. that the, and he was a handyman for the hotel. His wife cleaned mm-hmm. rooms. And it was just like, and I and I continue to meet people in everyday walk mm-hmm. of life who are educating themselves, they're finding the information, finding the website, weighing the information. And, you know, that is the greatest protection of freedom right there, Correct. is an educated public. And, and do you remember how, especially at the height of fear of COVID, mm-hmm. Forbes magazine and all these magazines were coming out with the articles that said, trust the experts, don't do your own research. Right. They were just telling us, don't think. in fact, I I got published in the Rogersville Review this week. The week before, there had been an article in my little hometown paper, Rogersville Review. Uh, Vanderbilt, journalist, had written about how, you know, about the flu shot. You need to get the flu shot. And he ended up quoting um, William Shatner, the doctor who's like 86 Mm -hmm. years old. He's contemporary of Fauci and and all of that. And his final words were... um, Something like if you're over six months old, you need the flu shot. He's talking to babies. You need the flu shot anyway. Um, so, and then he says, "Don't think about it. Just do it." Just do it. <laughs> so I wrote an article titled "Don't Think About It, Just Do It." So, unlike that article that had no citations, I had <laughs> at least nine um, cited my article about why. No, you need to think. <laughs> It's called medical due diligence. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? um, and that's what they don't want, but that's what we must do. Speak out, right. you know, so, so proud to know you. And you were one of the first people that I met. Now I wanted to show with folks, you brought up uh, one um, Defender article. Before we go there, I want to show the uh, Browns, uh, Brownstone Institute Now, I don't know where they were before COVID. That's Mm -hmm. when I discovered them. I don't know if they were one of the great organizations birthed from COVID Mm -hmm. or existed before. Do you know? I don't know. I
2: don't know if they were or not, but I certainly became acquainted with them during
1: COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, So this is back in January, The War on Doctors and Patients by Pierre Corey, who we've interviewed and and, uh, who you've worked with. Um, So I do encourage people to go back and look. Now, brownstone.org is a great uh, mm-hmm. website where you can find information on all of these topics, the politics, the science, mm-hmm. the medicine, all of that. And he gives a little background here on the ABIM um, and the war that started back uh, way back then and talks about some of the other things. So I just wanted to point that out. You can go check that out. But the other um, the other thing that you can do is always go to the Defender, Children's Health Defense, um, mm-hmm. Defender magazine. Let me stop sharing. I'm going to pull that up. Because I I had seen this article, uh, Dr. Sibley, but I had not yet um, read it in full. And I'm glad that you brought it to my attention. Oh, hold on. I'm on a new computer. I think I said that earlier. And and (laughs) it's like driving a new car. It's like, what? Where did it go? (laughs) Well, um,
2: one interesting thing that um, is known about the ABIM during this COVID era is that they have enmeshed themselves with the pharmaceutical companies. And one big way that, that was shown is that in uh, August of 23, uh, Dr. Barron and the ABIM partnered with a PR firm um, named Weber Standwick. And um, that, is, that big PR firm, it's, it's one of the biggest ones in the world, or the United States at least, um, but they are also hired um, as misinformation and disinformation experts. But they also provide services to guests, Pfizer, Moderna, and the CDC. So the ABM has partnered with a PR firm, Weber Standwick, which also partners with Pfizer, Moderna, and CDC to stamp out misinformation and disinformation. So they they're obviously enmeshed with the goals of the public health and with the pharmaceutical companies rather than the health of the patients and mm-hmm. the freedom of doctors to explore you know novel ways of treating a novel so-called novel disease
0: mm-hmm. and to use their
2: own scientific inquiry to do that. Uh, so that was one huge thing. And then the Weber Stanwick then um, had folks that were, embedded in the CDC. Mm -hmm. Um, They had actually staff embedded in the CDC. So it's a tale of enmeshment that really you can't say they're in the, you know, ABI sitting there independently um, Mm -hmm. looking for misinformation. I mean, on their website, everywhere, everywhere that misinformation is talked about, it's not about the health of the patient or the actual science around the vaccines. It's only what you have to do to make sure that people are not vaccine hesitant. And they give you videos. They give Mm -hmm. you ways to talk to people. They show the doctors exactly how to counter any argument. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really
1: breathtaking. It's it's absolutely stunning to me that they teach coercion. Yes. How did we... How did anybody buy into this? You know, we knew that prior to COVID, of course, that the, um, the CDC and different public health departments were actively teaching uh, doctors the art of coercion, which was, I mean, in, uh, a group of us with Informed Choice Washington, oh, I forget the year, maybe 18. There's a doctor named Doug Opal who's in, out in Washington state and he makes a study of what he calls, you know, vaccine hesitancy. And he tries to study ways to the best way to coerce. He he likes to do something they call nudging. nudging. Um, and there's the presumptive method right. where your patient walks in. Oh, how are you doing today? Oh, I see. It's time for your flu shot. I'll get the nurse to draw, draw those up. Right. That's the presumptive mm-hmm. method. I mean, it's just, It's it's marketing basics that Mm -hmm. it's really nauseating when it's it's done. But anyway, he was doing a presentation several years back before the um, uh, Washington State Department of Health Vaccine Advisory Board. And he was teaching them how doctors could coerce patients (laughs) and they then were going to make materials and push it out to doctors. Mm -hmm. And so we were there, we, we created a presentation that was very long, but we split it between about 20 people giving public comments. So we could get through the whole thing, (laughs) each of us with our three minutes. And I had oversized vaccine Mm -hmm. inserts that were two feet by three feet. And, um, yeah. So it's like, that is not the rule of government to enter the doctor patient relationship, but that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were, they were stepping, they weren't teaching them anything about the products, just that you said the ABIM doesn't teach about the products, Uh, no Mm -hmm. warnings about adverse reactions. Um, uh, So this has been going on a long time and um, COVID really was, I've said before, it's a healing crisis and it was sort of necessary that the corruption was so systemic. Because um, this, this had been building toward this for a long time, and it took something as bad as COVID and as bad as the COVID shots to make it all bubble to the surface for people to make it visible. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were presenting your materials, those 13 mm-hmm. white binders on that massive board, were you able to read their faces? What sort of reactions were you getting?
2: Well, they were engaged with me. I mean, I talked nonstop for some hours with only sipping some water. And um, I had, you know, tried to quote the author of the study and what it said and uh, what journal it was in. And they they wrote down a few things, you know, they jotted some notes, but <clears throat> really they stayed with me. Um, one of the panel was on a video monitor because she unfortunately had COVID at home and uh, couldn't, couldn't be there. But the other two, as well as the, the lawyer and the ABIM representative, seemed to be engaged. And uh, really, they didn't ask me many questions at all about what I had presented scientifically. They mainly asked me about my personal situation of um, you know, how, how I supported myself and various things like that. That was uh, interesting because I had done my COVID work pro bono. all of my pro bono work, all of my COVID work. And um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, But it was a call from God. So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted no one, no one to say that I had done it for financial gain. And even as my legal, um, you know, debts increased, um, people wanted to crowdfund and that kind of thing. And I said, no, I want no one to say that I financially benefited from treating mm-hmm. these COVID patients, uh, both acute illness, long COVID and vaccine injury. And to this day, I want no one to say I did it for financial gain. But yet, you know, we have these, these, um, you know, the American Board of Internal Medicine and Pfizer and Moderna and all these people making lots of money um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: getting um, Getting very rich mm-hmm. off it. And this most recent thing with the ABIM is so everyone is very surprised that with all the information that's come out about you know the vaccine adverse events and that really what I said in 2020 and 2021 is actually very true. Everything mm-hmm. I said was true. Um, you know, they they expect for they, they, the comment to me will be, well, haven't they just, you know, let up because, you know, it's all come out, you know, that you were right. Well, no, actually, they're doubling down. And this most recent one that I just referred you to on the 21st, the Defender article about Moderna. So Moderna mm-hmm. um, is partnering with a pharma funded uh, uh, public group uh, mm-hmm. called the Public Goods Project. Um, in their disinformation department. And they are also partnering with something called Talkwalker, which is a social listening company. So they monitor or listen in on 150 million websites uh, regarding vaccine-related conversations. And what was disturbing is that Moderna and this public goods project collaborated now with the ABIM. So this just happened because the, you know, shots, the uptake of the shots have have not been what they wanted. So they brought ABIM into it or or ABIM asked to come in. I don't know which one, but they now have an infodemic training program. Um, (laughs) And this trains healthcare workers how to identify COVID misinformation. And, you know, we got the UN also, uh, screwing down tight misinformation. We have so many um, continued uh, enforcement or trying to enforce this censorship. It's not let up for us. Everyone thinks, oh, you should be home free. Yeah. Actually, the screws are, they're trying to get tighter.
1: Oh, they're definitely YouTube is getting worse. Facebook, every, all of those are getting worse. And I think what they've done is they've taken the legal challenges for how they had been doing it. They were being directed by the White House, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the CDC, right. um, by the CIA. And, and they're like, instead of saying, OK, we're not taking direction from you, but we're just going to make these our policies. Our policy mm-hmm. is right. to follow only allow things that the CDC is saying. So they flipped it around. I mean, I can imagine that attorneys all get together to see how we do this. It's it's really alarming. And I agree with you. People have been lulled into this false sense of of security right now because mm-hmm. there isn't right. anything major going on, mm-hmm. but they're just ramping up to the next level because what they're saying they're doing and why they're doing it is not why they're doing it. Yeah.
2: And in there our- are 500 mRNA vaccines in the pipeline. Yeah. So Yeah. Uh, where do you think they're going to deploy those? Yeah, um, I mean they're they're in the pipeline for a reason, and of course they want to remake all the current vaccines into mRNA platforms. But they do.
1: yeah, this is
2: um, it, it's it, it is an ongoing process. It has not stopped. In fact, to me, you know, it's continued and it's it's getting screwed tighter. Um, yeah, so. You know, we have to be vigilant and we have to work. And, and you know, you know, I, my story before 2020, and I've lived in Tennessee since 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know how a law was made. And I know that's my fault. I just, you know, it wasn't something that I was interested in. I didn't know how, how things passed through into law. Just didn't. Um, didn't even know who my representative was or my senator, really. So I didn't need until
1: I turned 50. You're not alone. So. That's
2: terrible. But <laughs> that's my fault because I was, you know, I was obligated to my
1: family and
2: practice and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. in 2020, I had a fast lesson and you were one of my, you were my teacher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I showed up. <laughs> yes. I showed up and you can learn. You can yes. learn these things. Even if you didn't know it before, you can learn, you can learn how to speak there. You can learn the rules of etiquette. You can learn how to do deep dives. These are all things you can learn. Everybody says, well, you know, I'm not prepared. Well, get prepared. Um, Just have an interest and read, Mm -hmm. spend, you know, hundreds of hours reading. But (laughs) this forced me to do my own study because I knew something wasn't right immediately when they Mm -hmm. wouldn't let me, you know, you've heard my story. When I tried to call in my first prescription for COVID, it's a drug that's older than me. I've used it in hundreds of patients before writing Mm -hmm. it for three months supply at a time. Mm -hmm. And then I call in a, a, a number 10, that's 10 tablets, to two pharmacists and he won't let me do it in March. And I'm like, this is strange. Mm-hmm. This never happened to me. I just call, I just had 180 with this other person, but you won't give me 10. Oh, it's because
1: I'm treating COVID. They said, and so I immediately knew something was wrong. H- had you ever, in your career as a medical doctor, had a pharmacist question your prescription and refused no. to fill? No, no, never. Yeah. never so many doctors never ever this mm-hmm. that's not the role of pharmacists I mean it, it's true that they're supposed they're trained to be on the lookout for like prescription abuse mm-hmm. like too many opioids mm-hmm. or uh, a patient being prescribed two drugs that are contraindicated together yes. that really could there's a, another word for that but you know what I mean mm-hmm. that sort of for safety for safety but never anything like this, like no. um, arguably the world's safest drug ever invented billions of people served, and they can't even prove a, a tribute for sure a single death and they and even the side effects to um, Ivermectin, according to the studies is likely the die off of parasites that you're experiencing, and not from the drug itself, you know, fermented soil bacteria, it's just you know, anyway. Right. So. And in the initial stages, you know,
2: I, I knew more about hydroxychloroquine because that's what was used during the 2003 SARS-CoV-1. Yes. Remember, and I'm old enough. I lived through, you know, i cut my teeth on AIDS. So yeah. I knew some stuff. I've been through many novel, you know, yeah. swine flu, you name it. I've been through novel things. I'm old enough to have lived there. And I knew that in 2003- Sir Fauci had written something about using hydroxychloroquine yes. for sars COVID one So um, I'm, you know, I can say, oh, well, let's try this. And they had already mm-hmm. been using it in France. I was yeah, so following what
0: mm-hmm. was
2: happening in Europe. So it didn't take a rocket scientist to say, well, this is a safe drug. Let's use, you know, right. why not? If people are really going to die, which mm-hmm. by that time I'd figured out mm,
1: the mortality
2: yeah. is Zero point one percent. Yeah,
1: but no, um, we, you're you know, you're so yeah. It
2: it's been um, an eye-opening experience that really it's been an exciting time. I can't think of a more exciting time to be a doctor and to feel like you're really making a difference because so many other people have just left the playing field. Yeah, they just got their heads down. They don't want to talk about it. Give me my paycheck. Yeah, I'll just do what they say. And it's very exciting to help people who haven't been able to get help anywhere else. And um, to feel to really expand my capabilities, because I was handling things that I never dreamed I'd be handling as an outpatient. But I, you were sort of forced to. Um mm-hmm. And and did it well. Yes, <laughs> I mean it's it was it's an exciting time in the collaboration with people like Peter McCullough who personally you know invited me on his email list when I uh, signed on as a little doctor in Johnson City to a <laughs> rebuttal to a JAMA article. I've never signed on to anything, you know. And I'm like, oh uh, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with your conclusions there, and I support you know the, it was a it was one of those you know um, designed to fail things, but. And he invited me onto his um, email list. And I I just, the collaboration between physicians is what we used to do. Yeah. It's been so invigorating. And and to collaborate Mm -hmm. with people in the community like you, activists,
1: and learn how to be a doctor activist. Mm -hmm. Never thought about that before. Mm -hmm. And you're also entering a field of medicine that you never experienced, at least not that I heard you mention is healing the vaccine injured or attempting right. to and these are injuries that are unlike anything that you had seen in your career before absolutely they're
2: they're more difficult than handling covid during delta and alpha which were the worst waves the alpha was first and then delta in early 21 mm-hmm. um the vaccine injured are just that they they expand you <laughs> because <laughs> you have to to try many things and and i you know, I use other folks, protocols, uh, other academics who've kind of paved the way, but mm-hmm. um, it they are very challenging. And, you know, before 2020, I wouldn't have even known what a vaccine injury was, except I had one patient who'd had Gillian barre syndrome after a flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only thing I ever knew. Of wow. course, there were probably many more. But my radar wasn't on to recognize it. Now, Mm in hindsight, I think, you know, we did I did not I did not advocate for the Gardasil vaccine, the HPV. Mm -hmm. Um, That was one that somehow uh, between um, my husband and I, we kind of waded through that and said, this doesn't look like a good vaccine. Um, But there were patients who took it and. Mm Now I look back and probably were injured with POTS syndrome and various things. That's the Mm -hmm. postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And so there were young women who had problems that now, in retrospect, I see Mm -hmm. were vaccine injuries. But now, you know, it's it's a word I deal with every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean about like we're in the healing crisis is that, you know, everything was bubbling under the surface. And intentionally made invisible um, through the gaslighting, and and you know every and doctors being trained. Oh, it's just a coincidence, you know. Um, vaccination is the biggest cause of coincidences on the planet. And but now you can see it, and now so many can, and we're we can win this slowly or quickly. And for anybody out there listening who is in the medical field and who has not yet publicly stood up. We win this quickly when you stand up, when you join Dr. Denise Sibley and Dr. Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey and Peter McCullough. And I apologize, I'm living off. I always name those because they're easy to rattle off. And I, I really someday should have this whole list and spend an hour naming every brave doctor out there.
2: Well, and, you're, you're you're so sweet. It, it's interesting that you say, you know, this is because the head of the uh, Food and Drug Administration or. Administration Commissioner Dr. Robert Califf um, at the time had called medical misinformation the leading cause of preventable death in America right now. And that was around, I believe, 21 when he said that, 2020, 21, 22. So he thought that misinformation was was, you know, causing death. And in a way it was.
1: It was his misinformation though, right? Yes. It was them right. saying, y'all aren't a horse. Right. It was, right. you know, it, it, they're doing all of it. And, and that's what's gonna be revealed in, in in the fullness of time. As more and more people get brave, as you model what it is to be brave, to put your career to the side, you know, um, in order to just stand up and do what's right, and I'm so glad you are in the state of Tennessee where your license is protected. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the ABIM does, it doesn't matter because the people in Tennessee love you, and um, you know, probably have as much work as you can handle as <laughs> for as long as you want to handle
2: yes. it. <laughs> and you know, I told the board one of my summary statements was it didn't really matter what decision they made because. I didn't work for them. Mm -hmm. I don't work for the ABIM. I I work for God. And I will always follow the truth, no matter what it costs. And they can't hurt me. They really Mm -hmm. can't. I will continue to help patients to the best of my ability or to advocate in any way Mm -hmm. for the freedom of physicians to make wise decisions about their own unique patients without a corporate entity like the ABIM or the CDC coming in and stepping between the doctor-patient relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a one-on-one personal sacred relationship that has been broken mm-hmm. during COVID. And and actually looking back, it's been broken for a little while, but yes. it really came to fruition during this season. And I will stand up and, and it really, I will continue mm-hmm. to be in their face. <laughs> yeah um, because that's what you know that's what i can do i'm mm-hmm. small town doctor um but i can help who who god leads me to
1: and i will be a voice for truth
2: because truth matters
1: truth, truth matters it absolutely matters and you know we've got some fun times ahead some long drives mm-hmm. ahead you and i <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, to get her done. Oh, there's the music. Darn. Well, Dr. Sibley, you go to drsibleymd.com to learn more. Um, bless you for doing bless what you. you're doing and being you. Thank you so much for being on the Liberty Hour of Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back next week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org. RG today.